If you'd like to look with us, we'll look in Romans chapter 15. We got down through about 13 last time. Coming to the close of the book. Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And we talked quite a bit about this verse last time, but just for for a, a moment in time. So the God of hope, and if there's a God in that word hope, it's not I hope so or I'm hoping it happens that way, but an expectation. Here is a God that you can have a confidence and an expectation in what He says. He does not... Think about it. He's never struggled to accomplish His will. God has never uh, had to... He's never had to fight, in a sense, a battle to accomplish His will, but He is a conquering and a victorious God over all things. Now, you and I, in the trenches of this world... In enemy territory, we struggle, we fight battles with ourselves uh, inwardly in our mind, but the God that we look to and trust in, He's able to overcome, and by His power and grace, we will overcome. Amen. We are more than conquerors. So the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. So this joy and this peace comes from God Himself, and in the form of, on down, through the power of the Holy Ghost. So God, through the indwelling Spirit, provides us joy, that rejoicing of heart, and peace. Not, uh, not peace with man, not peace with a, another country, but a peace in our heart that there's no longer a fear of God any longer. I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to be afraid of uh, Him bringing some great calamity on me or, or even fear His wrath and judgment because of my sin and ungodliness. But in Christ, we have peace with God and there's nothing to fear with the Father any longer. And so the devil, I believe, just like Morgan said already, the devil would like to stir up fear. He'd like to rob us of that. But we pray for grace. Now this is a prayer. The God of hope fill you with all joy. So Paul is in a sense praying. I'm praying that God would fill you with joy and peace through the Spirit. And that's how we should pray as well for one another. We're going to see that a lot from here to the end of this book. But the prayer for grace upon the church... And there's where we're left. We're left in need still today of grace and strength, of understanding, of growth and knowledge and the power of the Word of God that our lives might more and more be conformed to the image of the Son. I believe there is the inward desire of them that are saved, a desire to grow, a desire that our lives, and really when we say our lives, our behavior the way I behave and live in this world, that my behavior would be more reflective of the Son of God and of the work that Christ has done in me. And as I disappoint myself 
And we do. If you're honest and if you've got any bit of spiritual view of your life, you disappoint yourself day by day with your behavior and with your actions. And as I disappoint myself, you know where it drives me? It drives me on my face and say, God, give me grace and help me to overcome this besetting sin. Help me to be made more like you. Give me grace and strength to endure and to have the victory. I believe that's where we're driven day by day. Our weakness, our failure drives us to our knees and we're praying God fill us and let us to grow. Because it's from God. It's not I'm going to work hard enough today and that's going to get her done. But it's we're looking to God praying to God. Now, if you're not careful, you could say, well, we, we don't really need to do anything then. But God's give us His Word, and here is a prayer for grace. I believe by... He says in Peter, first and second Peter, the first chapter, if you look, it's the knowledge. By growing in knowledge, our mind is transformed. So by growing in the knowledge of the Word of God, God transforms and gives grace through the Word unto us. So listen to how the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Somehow I skipped over that last week. In believing. So that, that word, we've looked at this word many times. It means to have faith in or upon, to credit or to entrust. So here is someone that has faith. And if there is no faith, then how is there going to be peace or joy? See, that's, it's impossible. But it's the faith that God delivered us as you've heard read already. By His grace, He's delivered us this faith. He's persuaded us of this truth. And I, I don't care how weak you get in the faith. God's persuaded you that this Word is true. And when the boat is rocked and nigh a turning over in the sea, in the heart of the believer, forget about the mind, in the heart of the believer there's a persuasion that I can still trust in God in this situation. Right. So you see the joy and peace is it's tied together with my faith. If I'm going to doubt, then I need not expect to have peace. If I can't believe that I'm anchored as the Word of God reveals, then I'm going to lay down with a troubled heart and a fearful mind. So it's all tied together in faith that we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written them more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Paul here is, he's written a letter, and, and especially in these last three chapters, these practical chapters, where he's 
bringing the doctrine down to our life and our behavior, our relationship with family, our relationships with the church, our relationships on the job, and how our life as Christians, born-again Christians, should, uh, should be manifested among the world and amongst people that are not saved. So he's applied that, and you know, people's going to say, and I believe it happens, he's got no business talking about those things. He's got no business to meddle in the affairs of my life. He's got no business to be worried about my behavior. Now, that goes on today, and I, I believe it went on in Paul's day. That as Paul's letter comes to the church at Rome, there's going to be somebody, as this is read, and that's the way this happened, uh, history says, this letter would come to the church and it would be read in front of the congregation that as this letter's read and somebody don't agree with what Paul has said, they say, well, what? he's never even been here before. What business does he have meddling in our lives as we live them? Well, Paul says, I am persuaded of you, my brethren. I'm persu-. Now, how can he be persuaded of, of men? It's not, it's not by the strength or the knowledge or the morality of mankind that he's persuaded of. But just as he said in the previous verse, the power, the, the dunamis, the miraculous power of the Holy Ghost of God. It's in the work that God has done in His people and He specifies, my brethren... So he's persuaded that God has done a work in these people. They are full of goodness, that's virtue, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So to put in mind, or to remind, to caution, or to reprove gently. So Paul says, I'm convinced that the church at Rome has people that God has performed a work in. That God has changed their nature. He's changed their mind. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. He's revealed the truth of God to you and you're able to admonish one another. Well, there's no business for that in our church today. And that's the way man thinks. But God equipped the church at Rome in the day Paul was writing this in the 60s AD, Paul equipped them with what they needed to admonish, to caution, and to reprove one another. That the church was watching out really for the spiritual and natural welfare of one another's lives. And when trouble was seen to be coming, the church had what was needed to be able to admonish one another. So, Listen, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So the church then, through the the gifts that God has given the church, and if you look on over a chapter or two from where Greg read in Ephesians this morning, you're going to find Jesus leading captivity captive and He's going to be giving gifts unto men. And the gifts he's giving is teachers and preachers and pastors and apostles and all of these 
these helps in this life that we would be able to admonish and correct and to caution one another. Well, God's going to correct me. Okay. But here, God is correcting Rome and instructing Rome through Paul a gift that God had given the church. At Corinth, Paul's going to write a letter there to correct the things that are wrong at the church at Corinth. And God's going to correct them through the hand of Paul and the authority that God gave him. And so the church at Rome has what's needed to admonish one another. Listen to this in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 8. I believe believe you can see this here. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So does that sound like the verse 13? A prayer for grace and for strength from God. And so verse 10 now, Colossians chapter 1, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So God, by the Spirit and by the work of Christ in the heart, transforming these men and women in Rome, giving grace and strength to them day by day. Now it's not that they need to be saved again. They don't need a a work of regeneration again. But the prayer and the seeking for is that we might grow and be more like the Savior than I was yesterday. That I might understand something new out of the Word of God. That God might give me new insight. That God would grant me wisdom to know how I'm to do in this world. That our lives might be more and more reflective of Christ. And also through that in verse 14, it's not that you need to be saved again. I'm persuaded that you're full of goodness. I'm persuaded that you are filled with knowledge. And I know that you're able to admonish one another. God's give you what you need through love to look and to caution one another in Christ Jesus from the dangers that are in our world. The deceit that's in our world. And yet, in Hebrews where we read, consider one another. So think on one another. This is directives to the church that one another in our minds, in our thinking, in our remembrance is one another. And our desire is to provoke one another. to to lead one another to good works, that we would encourage one another, that we would follow the Lord, not separately as individuals for my glory and you for your glory, but as a body that the power and the glory of Christ be magnified through us as a unit. And we desire to see one another to grow in that same knowledge and in that same grace. So Paul says, I understand You've got what you need to navigate this life. In salvation, a Christian has what's needed to navigate this life, to escape hell, and to enter into heaven. Every bit of that is received at salvation. 
But ain't it good now that God's give more than just what I need? He's give more. And that's what Paul's saying. I know you're able to. Nevertheless, I've written the more boldly unto you. Even though I knew you were able, I've written this letter that you might receive it, that you might grow in understanding and knowledge of the truth, and that you might draw strength from the very Word of God. And if you believe now, and I believe we all do, that these men writ the words as the Holy Ghost inspired them. My God, what a book that Paul wrote here. What a book that this has been. As you, and I realize it's, it's been a long time since we started. But what a book that this has been. And God's give this to the church to aid it. To strengthen it. To help to lead, to guide, to direct. And you know, that's the way we are. We've got what we need to navigate this life. But you know, we, we continually pray, God, give me a little more. Moses knew who God was. He had seen God work. He saw the, the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground in the midst of it. And Moses gets to the other side, goes up on Sinai and says, show me your glory. I want to see a little more. I'd like to understand a little more. And Paul the Apostle, if any man had an understanding blessed by the grace of God, Paul the Apostle had an understanding of Christ and what Christ was going to do. And yet, you all know the Scripture. You're probably already thinking of the verses that I'm thinking of. And yet, though Paul had this vast knowledge, his prayer in Philippians was that I might know Him. You know what Paul wanted? To know more. And by the grace of God, God's provided us great helps that we all might know more. That we might grow in knowledge and in understanding of the truth. Paul's provided that to the church directly through pastors, through teachers. And we'll talk about apostles in a minute. But the helps that God's given us that we might understand and grow and be established in the truth. I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind. So that means to, to remember. You know what Greg read this morning? Though, though Ephesians 2 is not believed as it's written in a lot of places across our world, that wasn't something new to me. You know what? As he read through that, as he talked about that, now think if this ain't the truth. As the Word of God is read through and talked through and, and I hear, and you who were dead in trespasses, and you know what that does? That reminds me of what I was. I'm reminded of where I was when God came to me. As the Word of God says, but God who's rich in mercy, that reminds me of my condition and how God came to me in that condition and opened my eyes to that. I'm reminded as God changes my nature, changes my mind and delivers me unto Christ, as He justifies me and He gives me peace and we read that through chapter 2 and you come down to where the life is transformed and where His workmanship, 
I can look back and remember. But you know, when that happened to me, as that was happening to me, I didn't know everything that was going on. I knew I was lost. And I knew Jesus was my only hope. And I knew I needed to get to Him. But I didn't know just how helpless I was. Though it was true, I didn't know that. I didn't know the love of God that was being shown me there. I didn't know just how undeserving that I was. And so the Word of God reminds me of these things. I'm stirred to remembrance. And He's growing me in understanding. And you know, the more I see and understand that I did nothing to deserve that, that makes me a little more thankful. Is that not true? If I come to the understanding that that I didn't earn that, I didn't merit that, I did not deserve that, but God gave me that mercy in the state of sin and rebellion that I was in and delivered me out of it. He didn't woo me into it. He brought me out of that. Makes me more thankful to see it as it really is. And so Paul wrote, the more boldly as putting you in mind, reminding you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. What's being reminded here? Peter's writing this letter to the church that the Scripture might be called to remembrance that we might remember what God said. I thought this one time, looking in Thessalonians, it's profound, but it don't sound it if you don't listen carefully. I'll never call a verse to my remembrance that I've never read before. I can't be reminded of something that I've never heard nor read before. So where should I be? I should be in the Word of God. As I grow in the Word of God, my life grows more like Christ. How can we grow? By the Spirit and by the Word. God's provided what the church needs to grow and to make it in this world. So as putting you in mind, because... Now here's the reason. Because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not overstepping my bounds, but God has given me this grace to do this job. This is the job. This is the task, the purpose that God has given to me to perform. So Paul was an apostle one born out of due season. And you can read, and I tried to find it. Don't know why I didn't look it up before when we were studying through this, but I didn't, and it's my failure. It's in the book. You may know where it is. But the apostles, I believe it's in the book of Acts, the apostles were those that were with the Lord Jesus. And Paul was the apostle born out of due season. So you see that these apostles, it's a limited group, and there, there are none today. That's right. 
There's no apostles that were with Jesus in the flesh while He was in this world. They're all dead and gone. So the apostles being gone, how can they be a gift to me? Well, it was the apostles that provided us this New Testament. The New Testament that explains and expounds the work of Christ in light of the Old Testament. So as we look at Rome, we are benefiting from the gift of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. But something that's important to see there, God gave Paul this grace. He gave Peter that grace. He gave John that grace. And these men that that wrote the New Testament canon, God gave them the grace and God gave them the authority to do that job. It wasn't who they were. Korah rose up in the wilderness against Moses and Aaron and said, you're making too much of yourself. We can do what you do and we can do it better than you. But the problem was not that Moses was greater than they were, but the problem was that God was the one that had given Moses that job. Moses was the leader, not because Moses strove and was elected that by the people, but God gave him the job to do that. And so when they rebelled against Moses, they were really... If you boil it down, really, they were rebelling against God. So these apostles, they they wrote the New Testament and, and they provided this through the grace of God that was given to them. God gave them the grace, the ability, and the Spirit to be able to do what they've done. And... I don't want to harp on something over and over, but I believe it's very important. Is the means of this Word of God reaching us is the order of revelation. Jesus said, I speak nothing but what the Father reveals. So the Father is the chief source. And the Father is speaking to the Son as He's to reveal. And Jesus Himself, I'm not blasphemous, Jesus says, I speak what the Father gives me. And so in in Revelation, as the letters are coming to the church, the, the faithful witness, the one who's in the midst of the candlesticks, the one who uh, liveth and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore, that man, the Lord Jesus, is revealing to the Apostle John and the Apostle John is writing that down and sending that to the church. That is the exact order that we have today. God gave this to the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote it down. And the church has that word today. And there is no going out of order. I'm not going to get a word from Jesus. That is contrary to what He's revealed to His apostles. Men today think that they can get some kind of special revelation outside of Scripture. And that's not the way that it is. This is the way that God chose to order this. So if if I, as a church member today, want to know something about God, I don't go and pray, God, would you give me something special and let me know something. I go to the Word of God. This is what He's given through the apostles unto us. 
and I may, I may sit down and, and write a book trying to expound the book of Romans and trying to, to get out of that what's being revealed in it, but I'm not sitting down and writing a new book that's going to go in the Bible. I don't have that authority. We've got the revelation. There's not going to be any more. There's not going to be another apostle. The Word of God already rules that out. So Paul had this grace given unto him that he should be the minister, the servant, public servant, or functionary of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. So I believe what you've got here is pictures, these words. They're looking back to the Old Testament, to the temple service that was going on in the Old Testament days. So here's the priest. He is a public servant. The priest was there to take your offering and to offer it to God for your sin or for your, uh, for your praise that you would offer to God. It was given to the priest and the priest was your servant to offer that to God. And through that offering that the public servant, the priest made, God would accept that and God would forgive the sin. And so here, you've got a picture of Paul. Paul's, in a sense, a priest. Now, I'm not saying he's the high priest. We're not trying to be blasphemous. But if you'll have it here, Paul is the public servant and he's ministering the gospel of God. So the gospel is being preached and proclaimed. That is his service to the church. He's not taking a lamb to the altar, but he's preaching the gospel. And that lamb, that was the means that God would atone for the people. In the New Testament... The preaching of the gospel is the means that God's drawing and atoning His people's sins and bringing them into unity with Christ. So the apostle presents the gospel and through the Holy Ghost, sinners are sanctified and brought to Christ for salvation, ministering the gospel of God. Now you'll see that the gospel of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ who was God. And yet here, God the Father can also be in view because this was God the Father's plan from before the foundation of the world. And what good news that there is in the gospel that sinners, that dead men and dead women and rebellious men and rebellious women can be brought to Christ their sins washed away, and that they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So here's the gospel. And Paul, I, I believe we saw in Galatians, when we look through Galatians, Paul says, it was noted, it noted that the grace given to me to the Gentiles, that same grace was given to Peter for the Jews. So Paul's got a, a, a people, an audience, that God's given him to preach the gospel to. And Peter's got an audience 
that God's given him to preach the gospel to. So Paul is seeking to fulfill the ministry that God has given him that the gospel might go out to the Gentiles and that through the word of God and the spirit they might be made acceptable through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. So here's Paul. Now Paul has covered all through Romans that there is no boasting. That boasting is excluded in Romans chapter 4. That it's not of works lest any man should boast. In Ephesians chapter 2. So if you take this verse, you could say, well, Paul's boasting in what he's done. But that, that doesn't jive with everything that he teaches in this same letter. So that can't be what he's saying. If you look at the words a little closely, this is... Don't, don't be offended. This is another translation. This is just me writing out definitions from Strong's in order to understand what's being said. Therefore I have rejoicing in Christ Jesus concerning the things of God. So Paul's able to rejoice in Christ Jesus concerning these things that come from, that pertain to God. He's not boasting in what he's done, but he's rejoicing that God has wrought this work through him. Though the flesh suffers and endures a great amount, and Paul did suffer and endure, what a joy it is to be brought into the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I have rejoicing in the work of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So Paul himself testifies that I've got nothing in me that I would ever think anything of me. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So Paul had no trust nor any boasting in himself and in what he was able to do, Paul recognized that he was unable and unworthy to be called into this ministry. And that's that, that people, people that are unable and people that are unworthy, those are the very people that God calls in to the ministry of Him. You know why that is? Paul says in Corinthians, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The strength of Christ is made complete in weakness. And Paul's conclusion is, I'll much rather glory in my infirmities. But think about what he's saying there. Paul, when, when you're the littlest, and when you're the weakest, and when you're the most nothing, that's when my power gets the most glory. Because if everybody regards you as a, a great man and a wise man and a mighty man, then when you come and preach and something happens, 
they're going to say, boy, look what Paul's done. But if everybody looks and says, look at what a little weak, insignificant nothing that that is. And he gets up and preaches and a great work is done. Man says, as they did of Peter and John, these are ignorant and unlearned men, but they've been with Jesus. So the, the glory is to the Lord, to the Lord alone. So I have therefore where I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. So this must have been a big thing in this day that here's men and they're going to boast and they're going to brag about this work that the truth is they never had any part in it. They're going to boast in something that somebody else has accomplished. They're going to boast in something somebody else has performed as if they'd done it themselves. And Paul is being transparent here. I'm not going to boast in anything that I did not have part in. If I didn't see it myself, if God wasn't using me to do it, I'm not going to glory in it in the least bit. And so the false teachers... They boasted of works that they had no part in at all, much less what Christ had done through them. So in Proverbs 25 verse 14, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. So to boast in something that has not been... Notice a false gift is the way that the... Solomon pinned that down. And what wisdom that there is. Here are men claiming to be apostles, claiming to be preachers, claiming to have done these mighty works. But somebody that, somebody that claims a false gift when they do not have it, they're like when it's real dry and the crops are drying up and the grass is dying, and the creek's getting low, and here comes dark clouds and wind a-blowing, and the people's hopes gets up. I hope that it rains and waters this stuff. Stuff's going to die if something don't happen. And it gets dark, and the wind blows, and then two or three hours later, it's back clear again, and there wasn't a drop of rain. You know what that is? That got my hopes up to disappoint me. And that's what these men that claim to have a gift of God and do not have one, that's what they are. It looks good. The wind sounds good. It sounds promising. But as far as the substance goes, you know, what's needed is rain. Clouds are of no value. Winds of no value. Now those things go with rain. If there's going to be rain, clouds and wind will most likely accompany it. But what's needed in this case is gone. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in men or not. It looks like and it sounds like and then in the end you're disappointed because what's really needed, the gift of God is missing in the work that they're doing. So here... The things 
Christ hath not wrought by me. So Paul says, I'm not going to boast in the things that Christ hasn't done through me. So who's doing the work? Paul is obviously stating that Christ is getting this work done. I am just the means that Christ is using to get the work done today. But when Paul's head's cut off, Christ will use somebody else to get the job done. It's Christ back of all of it. In Mark chapter 16, verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now if you read it fast, you think, well, here they're doing a work, and Jesus is out there working with them. They're all hoeing the field together and getting the job done. But if you look at that in Mark, that them, it's, it's italicized. So really what it says, the Lord working with and confirming. So the picture's not that they're all out hoeing together, but it's that the apostles are the hoes that God is using to get the, the row tilled. They're the implements, the instruments that God uses to do the work and to get the work done. And so Paul says, it was me that God was using. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It was God that was doing the work through the whole thing. And it's to God be the glory for all that's done. Making Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Now anybody that's going to teach or preach an easy believism salvation or a salvation that does not change the life, they are in absolute disagreement with the writings of the apostles and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not biblical. What's Christ doing through Paul? Well, Paul's preaching. God's saving. And you know what's happening? They're becoming obedient to the Word of God. God is transforming their lives and making new creatures out of them. In 2 Corinthians 10, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So God is, through the gospel, by the voice of Paul, saving those Gentiles that He foreordained to save. And He's calling them to Himself and changing their lives. They are being made. Notice how it reads there. To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. There's not an option there. He's not giving me the option. And He's not making... The word make there, it doesn't mean He's, he's chaining my hands behind my back and He's pushing me to do it either. But the word make, it's the potter's make. He's forming and fashioning. So what's He doing? Well, He's making these men and women. As you read in Ephesians 2 and 10, we're His workmanship... He's forming them up, making them into something new, and now they have a new desire inwardly 
to be obedient and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the work of God to bring changed lives and hearts through the Gospel. That's all we'll cover today. We're out of time. Anything on your heart you'd like to say?